The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The market's reaction to today's CPI report shows inflation continues to fall. So what does it mean for your money and the Fed? We discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, everybody's at the table. Jason Snipe, Kerry Firestone, Surat Sethi, and Jim Labenthal. I'll take you to the wall. Let's check the markets just after 12 noon in the east. It's taken a little bit of time to get things going today in the market because it wasn't really sure what it wanted to do after the CPI, but we're trying to get something going here. 174 on the Dow, that's half of a percent. NASDAQ, S&P positive as well. There's the yield on the 10-year note as well, right? Yields went up initially. Then they fell. 349 is where we're at on the 10-year. So, Carrie, where, where does all of this leave us now? Well, the market is pleased, I would say, of course, that inflation is still coming down. A little bit of a, eh, what have you done for us lately? Because we know we have earnings to talk about over the next few weeks, and we're going to hear a lot of information about guidance and what 2023 looks like. But the truth is, there have been buyers over the last few weeks. We've seen it. The market is showing a little bit of interest in stocks. The most positive thing about the market is that people have been so negative. The bears are overwhelming. It's really hard to find anyone to say something positive about stocks. And if you look at just growth versus value, you look at a little table we did, you can see that value outperformed by 20 percent last year. An amazing year for energy stocks and consumer staples. Mm -hmm. So it's not unreasonable that when stocks are down 50 to 70 percent, they start to get a look by people who say, you know, if we can buy Meta or Google, uh, get a less than the market multiple, 14 times earnings, 15 times earnings, there is some attractive buys. And so I think the market is showing a little bit of strength in, in that regard. Maybe, Jason, we're going to have a scenario as earnings kick off tomorrow, right, in a big way with the banks and then all the, the parade starts after that. Maybe we're going to find ourselves in that scenario again where earnings aren't as bad as we think, right? This runway to disaster is maybe pushed off and maybe the disaster never happened. Some are talking about Goldilocks today, that this number was in line with that, right? Fed's hiking, CPI's cooling, jobless claims aren't exploding. You agree with that? So I wouldn't go that far. I think, um, you know, from, from an earnings perspective, obviously the bar has been lowered, and I think that's obviously a positive. I mean, we have a six-handle on CPI this morning, which is also a positive. And let the trend be your friend. You know, four months ago, we are above 8%, 7.7, 7 7.1, today 6.5. Um, and then we looked to last week where we saw ISM numbers, wage inflation is decelerating. All these are positives for the market. Uh, and again, you know, the, the earnings, earnings story, has been the bar has been reset down about four percent has been the has been consensus. Uh, Q3 of, of 2020 was the last time uh, analysts pulled the earnings growth down uh, this much. So I think we can see uh, some solid earnings this quarter. 
Um, but I'm, I'm still relatively defensive, but, but starting to get more optimistic about the, the future ahead. Sarat, I wonder if it's getting dangerous to be too negative in the market. I, I think you're right there. You address that. Um, mm-hmm. If you get too negative, then you're never going to get back in. And especially if things kind of, uh, we're, we're doing a balancing act right now where CPI number was good. So that meant the economy isn't slowing down as much as people think it is. And maybe it'll keep on slowing down, but it gives the Fed some leeway and it allows the Fed to do what they're doing. But it also takes the Fed a little bit out of the picture. So let's focus on this next quarter. Let's see what companies are saying. Let's see what demand is. I think that's going to be really important. And can they keep up their margins? And if they're seeing pricing come down, whether it's supply chain, whether it's coming inventories, you know, chips, I think that's going to be better for the market. So to be diversified and balanced in this market, I think it's the right thing to do. Pharma Jim over here has been trying to tell people that you're too negative, that the economy's stronger than people want to give it credit for, that earnings aren't falling off a cliff that everyone keeps predicting. The Fed's not going to go nearly as high as people think because they're not going to have to because inflation continues to cool, evidenced yet again by today. Maybe you had a little bit of a sell the news event at the beginning today because it was in line. It wasn't blow you away, CPI. But how about that? Right. That's the story you've been telling. Yeah. I think I'm going to go have lunch, Scott. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> summed it up pretty well, didn't I? Pretty darn well. And <clears throat> I'll add a little bit to it, though. It was very good. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, Take the last six months of the CPI reports. Take those month-over-month increases. Chain link them. Do the product. The number is 0.9%. The last six months, headline inflation, as measured by the CPI, up 0.9%. I'll do a little higher math here. If you annualize that, what number does that come to? Ah, don't. It's 1.8%. What's the point here? Now, listen, I know I'm being cute, but those are facts I just gave you. The last six months, headline CPI has increased 1.8%. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what the next six months is going to bring. So I don't think that the Fed is going to stop raising rates. But what the Fed would be wise to do is raise 25 basis points in February, stop the jawboning, which is more politely put as forward guidance, just just back off a little bit and say we're going to be data dependent. That would be the wise thing to do because the Fed has another mandate, which is maximum employment. And the initial jobless claims on top of last week's labor report tells you they're getting the soft landing. Now, there's one question, Judge, still to be resolved, which is how much damage has been done. And certainly there will have been some damage done to earnings. Uh, Let's start looking tomorrow. You are correct, though. I don't think it is as bad as everybody fears. We're looking, the estimates are down 2% year over year for the fourth quarter. I think if you come in flat, which is not, take a look at American Airlines pre-announcement today, just as an example. I know it's only one company. But it may not be as bad as feared. Just that simple. That's right. So, Carrie, I find it interesting. You know, you and we've had this conversation whether this has been a sell the rip market way more so than a a buy the dip. Right. Because the trend has been down for a lot of people. Yeah. For most. Yeah. Um, But you are now buying more of what you like and what you already own, like a Salesforce, like an Adobe, like a Blackstone and a Charter Communications. Why? Exactly. Well, you know, some of these companies, not not only were they down 40 percent plus last year, but they've been in their own downturn. If you think about what's happened in software, all of these software companies have talked about weakness, closing a deal, how it's impossible to get the macro events to work for them. So the stocks have gone down and their earnings have been weaker than expected. So now Salesforce at this price, Adobe also, they've talked about having constraints about sales uh, costs. They said they 
want to have their margins improved. They're laying people off because they have to. They over-inventory people across software. And we think the multiples have come down enough. So that's an attractive entry for Adobe and for Salesforce. Blackstone, they had their problem with one of their funds, the B-Read Fund, having redemptions. We think that's now behind them. They have lots of dry powder. Company has a 5% plus yield, trades for a market multiple lower than a market multiple, and Charter, um, that's nine times earnings. That stock was down, you know, 48% last year, mostly because their capital spending is a little bit stronger. But we still think there are real opportunities for companies that have experienced their own downturns, both with their stock prices and fundamentals. Can you build, Jason, a better case for stocks today than you could a, a month ago, for example? Multiples have massively re-rated. The dollar, after remaining ridiculously strong for a long period of time, is, is finally starting to weaken. You got things within the market, good signs that some would say, transports above their 50 and 200-day moving averages. Some of the losers of last year have been the early year winners, and we're off to a pretty good start. Can you make that case? I think you can. And, and, and to Carrie's point, even as it relates even to software and some of the buys that she just made, I, I like software. You know, software traditionally has, has been very expensive, but I think there's inherently disinflationary uh, pieces of software. And the multiples have obviously come in. Uh, and I've, I owned Salesforce at one point and just recently sold it. But if you look at the, at the market multiple, you know, the S&P is roughly around 17 times. I do think, and, and to Jimmy's points that he made earlier, just about inflation and, and CPI coming in and the month-over-month month numbers, which is really a strong focus, I do think this setup is stronger today uh, than it was six months ago. And I think that's how stocks can work, you know, in this environment. You, you agree with that, Sarah? Because I, no, you, you have been, you've been negative and cautious on the market. I have. Is I, there I, any reason to be otherwise today? Well, I think valuations matter, and I'm still going to say that because I don't think we're going back to 1%, 2% interest rates, and I think that's where I'm a little cautious on, on cloud stocks and software stocks. I'm looking for true cash flow companies, and a lot of them got hurt. You know, to your point, Charter Communications, some of the other cable stocks, I mean, they just got burnt. But the positives in the market also that, you know, we all thought sitting here in January, we thought energy prices would be much higher. We thought Europe would be in a much worse situation. Right. You know, again, it's January. We still don't know, but they've got a lot of storage. We know LNG coming there. That is a much better thing. We know, you know, oil for Russia is much lower. The Chinese market has opened up. I know they're going through COVID. I know that's terrible, but you know, that market's going to come back. You're going to get more supply, more demand. That's going to help inflation. Your CPI numbers, as Jimmy mentioned, that's a lot better. So you've got things that have macro issues that we couldn't control two, three months ago that you could have said, hey, you put this into a cocktail. It's pretty bad. So now it's really, what do we focus on? That's what we all do day to day. It's fundamentals. And fundamentals matter. Cash flow matter. So that's where I kind of say, I want to get companies that are going to grow through this, have good capital structures. And by the way, you have to understand that we haven't had debt issuance, equity issuance in a couple of months. Yeah, how about that? So Easy. when companies have to issue, that's going to be really important. And we can't forget that because really for 10 years, it didn't matter. Right. It does matter again. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Jim. And uh, by the way, stocks are, are moving towards the highs of the session. Right. So as we said, it's taken a little bit of time for the market to decide which direction it might want to go. And of course, with many hours left, in the trading session, we don't really know where it's going to end up, but it's not going to surprise me at all if the earnings are, are fine this fine. quarter. There's no reason to believe that they're going to be bad. 
but it's the guidance that matters more than anything else. Forget the numbers themselves. What are they saying? So, yeah, it's so going to be opaque, too. They're not going to. I wonder what kind of guidance <clears throat> you're going to get. And, and, you know, the headlines tomorrow are going to be what Jamie Dimon says at J.P. Morgan. Right. He's a prolific speaker. He speaks clearly uh, from the heart and from the hip. One of the things you got to know about Jamie Dimon and, and Scott, you know, this is he speaks in compound sentences. So he will say something like the consumer is in great shape, but there's a hurricane on the horizon. And it actually ends up not really telling you. And it's true. It's true. He always does that. And you've got to admit that. But and he did talk about the hurricane. Yeah. yeah, but what I'm really looking for that. there, and I, and I know, Scott, you've been very on point for many months of, hey, I'm talking about right now and what's going to happen after right now. What I expect him to say tomorrow is, because he said it earlier this week, the consumer is in great shape. OK, now I don't think anything changed from Tuesday to Friday. He's also going to say there's headwinds for the consumer. Um, that's prudent for him to do. He's the CEO of one of the largest banks in the world. But, you know, the guidance has been similar for many quarters, whether it's from a J.P. Morgan or it's a Ed Bastian at Delta who's going to report tomorrow or Wynn Resorts. They're all saying the same things. We're prepared for a recession, but we just don't see signs of it. And frankly, the data doesn't show it. So we're continually waiting for Godot on this recession. You got the I, I was just looking at could we show the financials? Uh, I think that was the XLF that was up there it was so quick. Yeah, there it is. So you got you know, that's moving higher into earnings in the morning. This got to kick it off. And I don't know what you know, you're going to get what the environment is, is going to speak to for these bank stocks, which really haven't done all that that yeah. great. And maybe this is going to be a tide turning year for them if you know, rates stay reasonably high, net interest income's good. What do you think? I do think, and I think you're setting up for financials to talk about what the next year is going to be. If you look at the last three to six months, there's been no activity in M&A. Right. There's been no capital markets activity. So that's kind of like a zero for them, right? right? So what we're going to focus on is what is credit going to look like? What are lending going to look like? And how is net interest margin affecting your balance sheet? So that's for a bunch of them. So and then the wealth management business. Now, you know, if you think we've kind of hit a floor last October, that all has huge operating leverage. People forget we're all in the wealth management business. We understand on the way down how much it hurts, but we also understand on the way up you can actually, on an asset light business, do pretty well. So I think that's where we're going to look at. And then the other part that people kind of forget is they're great balance sheets. This is not 2008 and 2009. Right. Yeah. If we're yeah, going into sure, a, but a great ba- And I've said this before, a great balance sheet doesn't make a great stock performance, right? I, I, the balance sheets are arguably the best they've been in, in 12 years. But it gives you the years. opportunity to grow. It gives the opportunity to invest. It gives the opportunity to go into areas. You're not playing defense. You can play offense. You know, if I could really yeah. simplify it, this is really simple. I agree with that. If people are employed, they consume. If they consume, U.S. GDP stands in there and profits with it. Well, it's really that's, that the, that's the soft landing scenario. Yeah. Right. Right? Exactly. That's the soft that's landing exactly scenario. Right. The consumer it, doesn't fall off a cliff because the consumer's working. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but the other and, point and on the financials Go ahead, you know, is is that financials had a tough year, and now, and uh, for good reason. Right. I mean, I, I think. But if you look at this year, and we start to see a slowing down of the rate increases, which is likely, uh, then I think you start to see issuance of various types. And Definitely. financials have decent balance sheets compared yeah. to the last recovery. And you know, energy stocks have outperformed for two years already. It's hard so, to you, switch. We're giving, we're giving like a little bit of a tease here, too, because um, it's going to come up again in, in our stock summit, which Surratt has yet to do what he's going to coming up. So let's not give too much away on that conversation. Let's bring in Ed Yardeni there uh, today. He's our uh, halftime headliner. He's on the phone. Ed, uh, we're having some issues with your shot, so I appreciate you calling in. Sure. I'm looking at your note uh, staring me in the face, and it has that word Goldilocks in it. Is that what we've got? 
I think so. I'm, I'm very pleased with the, this morning's CPI news. I tend to look at not only just the year-over-year comparisons, which were not all that wonderful. They're still elevated. Uh, the inflation clearly has peaked on a year-over-year basis, uh, but uh, the Fed still on a year-over-year basis has a problem. However, when you look at the three-month annualized uh, for the headline CPI, you get 0.0% as the annual increase over the past three months through December. And if you take out uh, food and energy and look at the core inflation rate, you get 2.2%, uh, which is uh, a wonderful number. So I think these are good numbers. I think the Fed's still going to go for uh, maybe two, two more rate hikes. Uh, but I think they're, they're close enough to restrictive, and they're going to leave them there. And I think we're making a nice transition here from uh, the new normal of unconventional easy monetary policy uh, policies uh, from 2009 to 2021 uh, back to something that's going to feel increasingly like the old normal, uh, which is an economy that's growing with some inflation and with interest rates not zero. I mean, are you, are you putting in earplugs these days when the Fed speaks? Because, you know, you, you must not believe that they're going to do what they say. Uh, you know, you've you've got decades looking at the bond market. Right. And sounds like you believe the bond market more than the Fed. Well, I I, I never would put in any earplugs uh, when it comes to the Fed. Uh, <laughs> you, you get know, my I'm point, a, though. I'm, yeah, of course. I'm a big believer in the uh, adage, uh, don't fight the Fed. Uh, but the Fed uh, does change its mind. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not my job to tell them what to do. It's my job to anticipate what they're going to do. And sometimes they, they change their minds. We saw them going from uh, changing their minds about transitory inflation at the end of last year to suddenly it's more persistent. And I think they fell behind the inflation curve and just kind of felt, felt the need to not only catch up with it, but to, for their credibility to maybe uh, um, move uh, in a fashion that was more aggressive than the markets think. Uh, but uh, maybe the, maybe we're in an environment now where it's don't fight the bond market, don't fight the two-year. The two-year just doesn't isn't getting the message. Uh, so if the two-year's not getting the message, I'm not getting the message because the two-year is telling me, you know, if we're going to go to five, five and a quarter percent, we may not stay there very long. We may find we're back at four percent, four and a half percent. You had a spike and then a drop. That's been an yeah. interesting move in yields today. Your, yep. your job also is, is partly to anticipate where stocks are going to go, right? Right. Not just the Fed. Right. So where are they going to go? Well, you know, last year uh, I thought that we made a low in June. Uh, that was not correct because the Fed insisted on being uh, ag- aggressive, became more hawkish, let's put it that way. And then uh, when we got uh, down to the uh, October 12th low, I said, well, that's not that much lower than what we saw in June. So in my mind, that was sort of a retest of the June low. I think that was the bear market low. And uh, I don't know that we're going to go straight up from here, but I think we made a low on October 12th of last year. And, you know, I was on your show saying that. I still hold to it. What about earnings? I'm a, before I let you go, you yeah, know, we well, kick off in the I'm, morning. So what yeah, do you expect here this I'm season? I'm on a limb there because, as you know, with the consensus was that the economy was going to be lousy in the first half. Stock market going to be lousy. Earnings going to be lousy. I got I got $225 a share this year, which is uh, above uh, 215 for this year. And as far as I know, I think I'm just about one of the few strategists actually looking for earnings to go up this year. We'll leave it there. Appreciate it. Instant reaction, Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research, the CPI. So Jason Snipe, he also puts forth something interesting, this notion which a lot of people had, right? A lot of people were on the same side of the boat. Tough first half, better second half. Maybe we had it reversed. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think 
and, and it's part of our conversation that we had earlier in terms of just the inflationary numbers coming down and, and, and what earnings potentially will be and not being as bad as, as, as folks have anticipated. And I think Kerry made a po- this point earlier, you know, when all folks are on one side of the boat, um, that's usually not the side that you want to be on because that thing taps over, right? So I, I do think the first half could be stronger potentially and, and getting away from consensus because generally, like I, like I mentioned, you know, Folks can be wrong when, when everyone's just in agreement on one side. So I do think the first half could be stronger than the second. What, what do you think about that, Kerry? Because people had been set up yeah. for some difficult sledding in the beginning of the year. And then maybe in the second half is when you can have a comeback and actually do something decent in the market. If you were going to do it, it was going to come in the second half of the year. Did we get it backwards? Well, that never made any sense to me. You know, it's like they're going to ring the bell and everybody's going to hop into the market on July 1st. That, that just was. No, but, you know, you, but, obviously you know, the Fed, the yeah, Fed right. gets done. They signal their their yeah. their pivoting. And so the market can then sort yeah. of have some, you know, vision of, of what's ahead. Now, uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, at least some are trying to position themselves for the reverse. But don't you think that managements by and large are prepared to be conservative because they've been all thinking about recession, talking to their troops about recession and planning for recession. So so if there isn't a recession, the second half of the year could be better than expected, even, you know, maybe the first half and the second. half. Yeah, well, not bad. I mean, they don't have to be gangbusters, but I think that they can be reasonable and you could have slightly higher earnings. It's not as if 2022 is so wonderful. Yep. It wasn't. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming up, activist investor Nelson Peltz targeting Disney. We'll talk about his proxy fight, what it means for the stock and for investors, because we do have some on the desk today. We will be back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We are back. Disney is the best performing stock in the Dow today as activist investor Nelson Peltz spoke with David Faber on Squawk on the Street and the gang about his proxy fight with Disney. Here's what he said about why he wants a seat on that company's board. We have skin in the game. You know, we look at a company 
And we look at Disney and we say that this is the most advantaged consumer company on the planet. And we love it. That's the reason why we're here. However, the TSR, the total shareholder return of one, three, five, ten years has materially underperformed the S&P and underperformed the proxy peers that the companies selected. Equally as important, there are a lot of retail investors in this company. They eliminated the dividend that was in effect for 57 years. 57 years of a dividend, and now it's gone. And now they want to tell us that everything is going to be great again. We think that we can help. Okay, so that's Nelson Peltz this morning on Squawk on the Street. I'm speaking to two Disney shareholders here, Surratt and Jim. And Jim, we spoke about this when the news broke yesterday, but not everybody heard what you had to say. So Peltz cites poor corporate governance, poor strategy and operations, poor capital allocation. Disney says it doesn't endorse Peltz, urges shareholders like you guys to vote against him. Peltz says Disney offered him a board observer position without a vote. Faber's got some new reporting a few moments ago that says Disney Disney says they didn't offer him to sit in on board meetings. So we we bottom line is we got to fight. Okay, I'll go to you first, Surat. What do you want? What do you want? Why shouldn't they put Peltz on the board? Well, I'm more concerned about what Iger's going to do. And I was actually happy when Iger came back because I do think capital allocation is one of the biggest things of Disney. And when they did cut the dividend, I understood that was COVID and you had to do it. But once you got out of COVID and theme parks came back, why did you do that? And a company like Disney, if you look at kind of what their future is, they have so so many assets in terms of their video. If you look at their recurring revenue, this is a cash flow company. It goes back to why don't you have the dividend, take the optimal amount of leverage. You can grow your earnings five to seven percent, have a two to three percent dividend. And you're going to give your shareholders an eight to ten percent return. Here you're trying to compete with all the streaming players who are right now, you know, everybody's spending money in there. And I, I just think the company needs to refocus on what they're really good at, okay. which they've been good at for Let's 75 years. You voting for Peltz? Are you voting for the company? I, I, I'm voting for the company. I mean, why? Because I like the idea that Iger came back. Now, if Iger hadn't come back, maybe I would look at what Pelsis is. But Iger said he's looking to focus. He doesn't like the linear part of the business. Everything he said was what he was go- he was doing. So- Pelsis' point would be, well, okay, that's great. An iconic CEO is back, but the iconic CEO is the one who got the company in this predicament in the first place. Succession planning, poor. Fox deal, as he articulated this morning, poor. He's obviously got a tremendous amount of experience. The Marvel deal was not poor. He's done a good track record before. He understands he's only going to be there for two more years. So the board's on top of that, too. I'm a long-term holder. So, you know, sometimes, and and no offense to any of the activists, but sometimes they come in and they're gone in three or six months. Yeah, but he's not a short-timer. Again, I, I, I traditionally he's not a short timer. Right. And, and you could argue and, and go ahead and, and go with Pulse. But I, I prefer to stick with management. Well, I'm not arguing that I'm playing the devil's advocate yeah. to your voting for the with the company. And, and I, well, let's just see. Let's see what happens. I mean, you know, in the next week, they could come to a reason he could be on the board. So at this point, I'm just kind of waiting to hear more facts and see where we go. Here's what Ken Squire of the 13D monitor. He follows this closer than anybody in terms of activist activity. He published a note right before we came on the air, says the following. A strong board with a strong CEO who is admittedly a short-term CEO 
should not have a problem with an experienced shareholder in the room who might have an unpopular opinion. In fact, they should welcome it. Of course, Nelson Peltz should be on the board of Disney. He's a large shareholder with a strong track record of creating value through operational, strategic and capital allocation decisions. He will be the most prepared and valuable board member when it comes to doing the financial analysis on the various strategic and capital allocation opportunities available to the company. Shareholder, where are you voting? That's a convincing argument. And Mr. Peltz's uh, session with David Faber today was also very convincing. I am voting for Mr. Peltz. But to answer the same question that you asked, Surat, what would I like? I would like uh, Mr. Iger and Mr. Parker to invite uh, Mr. Peltz onto the board. The idea of a proxy fight is exactly what this company does not need right now. Okay, this is execution phase. This is similar to what I said to you last night. I want them executing on driving to profitability and streaming. I want them executing on making sure the consumers continue to come back to the parks, even as headwinds uh, may or may not arise economically this year. I want the studios to keep producing. I want execution. I don't want drama. The problem with what I want is I'm unlikely to get it. There's some major egos involved here, and I I just don't think anyone's going to roll over and uh, show their belly here. Rosenblatt reiterates a buy on the stock, says, quote, Peltz's push, despite the Disney board's objections, has merit and could help Disney shares. It's reiterated a buy today at Disney. You heard Peltz say he loves the company. He just thinks they've got a crisis on their hands that, you know, somebody like Tryon and himself can help fix through their years of experience and the the name on the back of the jersey. Uh, I think one of the problems right here is that Iger has never presided over consolidation. He built the company with a lot of acquisitions. I mean, it was great for all the years, Marvel, Pixar, uh, Lucasfilms, and then Fox. And I think there's a slowdown in in the first three in terms of uh, output and profitability. And he doesn't want to share a stage with somebody like Peltz and, and I think it's he also a just got problem. there. He yeah, also just, just got there, like two months ago, tough, less than two months thing. ago. And he's That's probably thinking. Well, I mean, I, I would go. I mean, a, a, a top, a top actor can share the stage with a good director. Pardon the pun. I mean, if you know, some if they can. can get to the same <laughs> but, place. Yeah, correct. But, but you know, we'll see how this progresses. I've got some breaking news, and I want to get to Steve Leisman because Bullard, Bullard is speaking. Steve, what's he saying? I, I think these. Comments are newsworthy here, Scott, because uh, Jim Bullard, the St. Louis Fed president, is pushing back against where and how the market is priced. He says there is not enough pricing in the markets for the upside risk of inflation. He says there's probably too much optimism. Inflation is going to easily return to 2%. Goes on to say policy has to be higher for longer to continue to put downward pressure on inflation. Though he does say on the upside, recession risks have diminished in the last 90 days, and the second half GDP is going to be stronger than the first half. We've talked about that. Disinflation, he says, will not be a smooth line. He warns of some reports that could come out that could potentially go the other way. He does not rule out a 50 base point hike at the next meeting. He didn't say that specifically, but he was asked 25 or 50. He said it doesn't matter much. He prefers front-loading. Uh, so, Scott, another day with better inflation news and another day where two Fed officials are still heading to 5% to what you threw out to us at the beginning of this week, if not the end of last week. The idea that the Fed isn't as data dependent as one would like to believe. And let's also note, and I'm, if I'm wrong, correct me, please, Bullard doesn't have a vote. So yeah, I believe, I believe that's correct. I believe that's correct. But you know what, Scott, you know who has a vote? The 20th member of the FOMC 
is the market. Take a look at what's happening with the two-year. The two-year came down today into that 415, 419 area uh, this morning in the wake of that inflation data. So that was the take of the 20th member of the FOMC, the market, when it came to inflation. But I'm not hearing. He, Bullard said he was encouraged, as did Harker this morning by this number, but no real change in their outlook to get to 5%. But maybe the 20th member is the one we should pay most attention to, especially if the 20th member is part wearing a bond market hat. When the 20th member has data to support it, I think that's the time to support it, and that's why I think now is that time. Hmm. Interesting. All right, we'll see. Uh, we shall see. We're watching the market here. Market's not upset by this in any way, shape, or form, uh, what Bullard's talking about, because the Dow is up near 300. It was 300 just a moment ago. Uh, second half GDP stronger than first half. So that, again, plays to how we were discussing this earlier in terms of a market outlook. You know, people thinking first half tough, second half better. Man, that echoes that a little bit, but we'll see what the market does. Up next, our 2023 Halftime Stock Summit. Surat revealing his top stock and sector picks for the year ahead. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, it's Stock Summit time today because Surat has yet to give his picks, which he's going to do right now. All right, let's go through the stocks first, then we do the sector after that, okay? Okay. Number one, our parent company. Comcast. Comcast. Yes. Talk to me. All right. So a few things here. If I do some of the parts and you break up into cable, media, and you break them into theme parks, if you if you put valuations on them just to their peers, you get $40 for the, for, for your cable, you get 7 to 9 for, for the studios, and you get about 5 just for the media. Together, you're talking a little north of 50, stock trading at 37. So what's going to happen? What are some of the catalysts? Well, I think in the broadband side, which and the overall company trades at 10 times earnings with a 3% yield. I think broadband, you've had so much pressure with fixed viral, wireless. I think that's going to dissipate as the cost of capital goes up. I think in the, in the parks business is doing better as we go forward. And the media business, just like Disney and all the others that we're saying, I think you've got, you know, what we would call peak streaming, and you've got to fundamentally consolidate. Now, maybe that doesn't happen under this administration, but I think going forward, there's a catalyst there. And you're a, you're a shareholder. You have been a shareholder in this company for a while, right? I've been a shareholder for a while. I bought it all the way down from the high 40s down to kind of where it is even lower and then kind of averaged in, took tax loss, losses. We talked about that in November, uh, December of last year. And, and the other one thing is management change, too. I mean, you've seen that they promoted their former CFO to president. Mike Havanaugh. And so when you have somebody new from the outside, you know, who's come back, coming in from very different experience, he came in from J.P. Morgan. He had worked at, at a bunch of different places. I think that's going to be important for a family run business. OK, so, so, All that's, right. so that's number one. Again, our, our parent company, full disclosure yep. there, Surat's pick. Uh, Halion, what is that? So Halion is one of these things that people haven't heard of. It's a spinoff from Glaxo. It was a JV between Pfizer and Glaxo. They have brands, Global Healthcare. Stuff like Advil, Sensodyne, companies you've probably, you know, we know of, but the company is now a spinoff. When is your spinoff? Most of it think of as, hey, I just got to sell it. Trades at 16 times earnings. It's got debt on it. They're paying it down. It's kind of an LBO and in a market that has resilient earnings. And I think this is one that's going to grow about 10% a year for the next three to five years. Nice pop in that stock as you mention it. 
Uh, Morgan Stanley. So I've, I've owned this one for a while, too, and the multiples come down. It's, it's around 12. 60% of their earnings comes from wealth management. They had bought Eaton Vance. They bought E-Trade. Great management team. I think James Gorman is doing a fabulous job. If you look at the capital that he's using, it's an asset light business. M&A comes back. We talked about equity issuance, debt issuance. They're going to do really well. They bought back 15% of their shares. They've got a 3% dividend yield. He's really focused on capital allocation. He's doing what some of the other companies we talked about in the past are not doing. So I think you're going to do well here, even if you have an economy that doesn't do well, because the wealth manager's business is really the gem of this company. You touched on this earlier, and I didn't want to front run it too much, but financials, that's your sector pick, yeah. and, and I which think, was carries, too, in the stock summit and a few others as well. Sure. So there's a lot of love behind that space. right? Yeah. Now. And we never all want to be in the same herd. But I think last year financials didn't do as well uh, for many reasons. I think you've got huge operating leverage. Every one of these banks is talking about cutting costs. And if what's going to happen is if second quarter, second, second half is going to be better, this is where these companies will do well. You don't need margin expansion. You get earnings expansion. These stocks are going to do well. And you get good dividends from a lot of these companies, which you could see, again, capital allocation is going to be key in this sector. Okay, so again, tomorrow kicks it all off, right? B of A, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, City, et cetera, et cetera. We'll, we'll talk about that, obviously, tomorrow. On the Halftime Report, up next, we will hit the biggest analyst calls of the day, including upgrades for some of Kerry and Jim Stock Summit picks. We're back in two minutes. All right, we have several calls of the day that play right into the committee's hands today. Cleveland Cliffs, Jimmy. It was one of your stock summit picks. Upgraded today. Overweight, Morgan Stanley. Price target, 26 from 13. So, I mean, stock got away from a little bit. So they upgraded today. Big smile on your face. I do have a big big (laughs) smile on your face. Look, because this thing has been volatile, okay? It sure has. And it hasn't traded all that well. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, okay? Um, What the analysts here, Mr. D'Alba, Mr. Spies, and Mr. Von Wittgenstein, have done is they have listened to the company. The company is telling you exactly what they're going to do. They're telling you when they do it, and they tell you when they did it. Now, what they've told you in the last three weeks is that they have raised, past tense, raised prices on their fixed contracts with the auto manufacturers at a time that their costs to produce steel are going down. They have also told you that they're done with major capex. If you just simply listen to the company, you would look at the earnings declines, the earnings estimates decline, Scotts, that have been going on for the last seven months or so, and you say it doesn't make any sense. And so these analysts at Morgan Stanley are the first movers to say it doesn't make sense. We're going to listen to the company. We're raising our estimates for EBITDA and free cash flow. It makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, American Tower, Kerry, upgraded at Deutsche Bank today. Price target to 254 from 240. Well, I would have a higher price target with uh, on American well, Tower. What's your price target? How about 300? <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're yeah. going in the right direction. It had a tough year last year for a couple of reasons. Reasons FX against it because this is a company with more than half of its towers are outside of the United States. But that's reversing. Interest rates being higher was tough because they need to borrow. But this is a positive move if we think that rates have almost peaked. And you have the sprint turnover, a lot of churn last year, not not this year. So we've got escalation clauses in most of their tower rentals. And the world needs more 
bandwidth. The world needs more wireless. Mm -hmm. And this is the leading company in the field. And so it's it's a name that we like a lot. It was one of my picks for the year. Sharat, you own it as well. Do you want to bid Kerry's price target up? (laughs) I think 300 is conservative. All right. Uh, Look, I think you have resilient earnings. You have contracts and you have escalation in your contracts for a company that is global in nature. And I think the headwinds of FX are going to actually Mm -hmm. dissipate. But you also have a huge amount of growth, especially as we get more and more into 5G. That's where they make the money. They, they, They basically have customers that have nowhere else to go. Okay. And finally, ServiceNow. Top pick at Oppenheimer. Target cut, though, to 450 from 505. Still nice, uh, nicely above here. This is you, Jason Snipe. Yeah, I, I, I like this business. I really do. I think IT scalable software is so important and integral to enterprise. Um, it's an expensive stock. It's trading at 54 times. In the last quarter, it was up. the revenue growth was up 21%. Uh, EPS growth was up around 27%. But as I mentioned earlier in the A block, you know, I think software is, is inherently deflationary, and I think that presents an opportunity uh, for businesses like this. And I think Bill, Mark, Bill McDermott is a star in this industry. Okay. Uh, yes, he is. All right. Mike Santoli next with his midday word. Plus, the committee is getting ready to grade your trade. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're right back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. So it it took us about four hours, but maybe we're voting on which way we think this should go today. Right. Uh, Obviously, we could hesitate right here. It wouldn't be that surprising considering not just the little move we've had in recent days, but uh, everybody watching the fact that the S&P is up against the 200-day moving average and the downtrend line. But in general, uh, you had just a benign set of conditions out there where inflation, I, I, you know, basically looks like last year's war and this year's war, which is, if it's how much the economy is going to slow down, how much earnings forecasts have to go. It doesn't seem that scary at the moment. Uh, so you have to have raise the po- prospect for that softish landing. Uh, it's not a done deal, obviously, but the market can can migrate higher uh, on this because people were un, un, under invested, I'll say, not uninvested, and, uh, you know, had to grab a little more risk. Just for context, even though the market feels like uh, it's been levitating, the S&P is right back to where we traded it, like December 14th. It's back to the early May lows of last year, uh, and that was before the last 350 basis points of Fed tightening. So if you're telling me the Fed has more to do, it's not much, just about done, the bond market's pretty clear about that. Yeah. Speak more on the bond markets move today, uh, especially, right? That move up, especially in the two year and then a move down. Now all the all yields lower. Right. Um, I mean, essentially, the bond market is, is saying that there's the inflation story is easing fast. If you look outside of the, the shelter areas, the six month yield, I keep pointing out, is the highest on the curve. So that means that's the window in which you'll get peak Fed funds rate. Naturally, the bond market could have it wrong here, but this is the message at the moment. Uh, So you get whether it's a one quarter point or two quarter point hikes, whatever it is, in the vicinity of 5%. And then you at least have to build in the possibility in the range of potential outcomes that the Fed will be cutting within that two-year window. That, to me, is all the two-year yield is telling you right now being much lower than the six-month bill. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a few. That's Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Grade My Trade is up next. Still send us an email. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. We'll be right back. All right, let's do a grade my trade now. First up, Jason Snipe from Jack. 
My cost on United Health is $508. I've held it for 10 months. What do I do heading into earnings? What do you think? Yeah, so I think as it relates to UNH, obviously last year was a, it was outperformer. Uh, it was up about 7%. I mean, right now it's trading around 497. So I know there's a little bit of a loss on your basis. Uh, but I, I think there's a little bit of pressure on the operational metrics. I think you, if, if you're looking to hold long term, I would hold it long term. But my, my, I, I like the stock and, and I would grade it a B here um, because I think there, there, there might be some pressure on the operational margins here. Okay. Karen Firestone from John. Okay. Fortive. I just bought Fortive. That's FTV mm-hmm. at $65 a share. What's the grade? I'll give you an A minus. I think it's a good trade right here, John. We like it. It's a high quality industrial. The, the stock has basically been flat for four years now, although it's moved up 24% since July. And we think it's going to be recognized for some of its businesses, high precision instrumentations and healthcare. And so, yes, we think it's a good trade right here. Own it, and it, it will reward you. Okay. Surat, Nicholas bought a stock that you own, so you are going to grade Johnson & Johnson. Nicholas says bought 1,000 Johnson & Johnson shares at 174.87 on the 10th, okay, a few days ago, a couple days ago. What do you think? I, I like it. It's one of our core holdings. I think you've got a couple of things going on here. One, this is a market valuation of a stock that grows better than the market. Secondly, you've got a catalyst coming up uh, this summer. They're going to spin off their uh, consumer business just like Glaxo did. So you're going to get two different businesses that are going to have different capital structures and different growth. So I, I do like it. Okay. Finally, Farmer Jim from Jeff in Washington about a stock you own, Win. I've been adding Wynn Resorts in multiple trades down to 62 bucks. Most recently, I've considered lightening up the weighting in my portfolio, but hesitant to do so with the recent strength. What do we think here? I think Jeff's nailing it here, okay? Um, in everything you did, including buying in tranches and now thinking about selling, trimming, trimming, okay? That's what I think I hear you say. Uh, it's up 20% in two weeks. There is more to run on this stock, but it is likely to go through a consolidation phase sometime soon. Let it keep rising when it stops, then trim a little bit. But this is a position you should be holding into the mid-100s by end of year. Okay, let me remind you as well. Keep the trades coming in, please. Send us an email. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. Tweet us as well, and we will continue to have the committee grade your trades. Up next, final trades. We have a jam-packed overtime tonight at 4 o'clock Eastern to go over what happened today with the CPI and where stocks and your money go from here. Liz Ann Saunders, the headliner. So we'll speak with Schwab's chief equity strategist. Dan Greenhouse, Stephanie Link, Greg Branch, along with Mike Mayo. He sets the table for you ahead of those bank earnings in the morning. Find out what he thinks going in, whether they could have a little re-rating on those stocks. We'll see. Join me 4 o'clock Eastern. Let's do final trades now. Carrie Firestone. American Express. We know that travel is back. Business travel is starting to come back. Gen Zs are using American Express cards. It's a bank, so interest rates are higher for them, and that revenue is good, 13 times earnings. Thank you. Jason Snipe. I like PayPal here. PayPal was down 62% last year. I think they're really focusing on the existing client base and profitability. Stay long here. I think it could work. All right. Picking off some of the losers from 2022. Surat, what do you got? Hey, my main word for today, cash flow. That's what you got to watch for Uber. They're going to be cash flow positive. I think once you get that, you get a whole different investor base back. Okay. And finally, Farmer Jim. 
You know, Scott, you did such a good job speaking for me at the beginning of the show. You, you might want to take this. Too? <laughs> I've been <doing> it. <laughs> I'll be on with you tomorrow. Delta Airlines, they're going to report Ooh, in the morning. Well, you're stepping ahead of the Ooh, earnings. I'm going yeah. to step in there on the yeah, back of what American go. Airlines uh, <laughs> said today. I think I'll take Let's this go. chance that I'm not uh, getting yelled at tomorrow. All right. We'll see. You might be getting yelled at. <laughs> Maybe just not for this. All right. I'll see all of you in overtime. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.